Hey, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is a show where we help you get better at doing the hard things that make life exciting. Today, we've got a return guest for you, and this return guest is actually the most popular guest so far on the podcast. Salama Garani returns. Salama is a global keynote speaker. She is an advisor. She's a writer having authored over 14 books. She's a debater. She's a board member. She's a company owner. And really, she likes to show people around the world that even a school dropout, a homeless child, an unwanted immigrant can get to the top. And she's had a whole raft of struggles. And as a result, has written, co-written more than 14 books on all the mistakes, failures and obstacles she's had throughout her life, which has then turned into some global keynote speaking amongst a whole lot of other things. And we sat down to, to have a chat about Salama's, one of her most recent books, uh, No More Excuses. The title is a little bit of a giveaway. It's all about getting past those excuses that you give yourself that hold you back. And it took us a while to get to that, actually. The, the conversation around that is pretty awesome. But there's a lot of stuff that we talk about beforehand in terms of values in terms of ego in terms of dealing with discomfort in terms of mental health and mental well-being and in terms of just some of the hard taboo subjects that people don't bring up if you find any of the stuff that we talk about today confronting definitely reach out to myself or Salema or someone that you trust and have a conversation with them around and around these topics because we don't really go easy on it today but I think that's the important stuff is to start having these conversations and start challenging our own beliefs and challenging beliefs of society so with that being said thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with Salama and I today. Salama Garani, welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, and thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me back. I'm so, I envy you so much because I think you have the coolest name of any podcast I know of. I wish I had taken that name myself, the title, but you have it and I love it and I'm happy to be back on the show. Thank you, thank you. I'll, that's, a, that's a fantastic endorsement. Your episode came out. It was it was a while ago now. It was it was probably almost two years ago. And people should definitely go back and listen to that. But in a nutshell, who is Salima? So I'm a speaker and an author, and I'm an entrepreneur. I like to I like to explain myself as an entrepreneur mostly because I hustle. I build companies. I've built four companies now. I love building companies. I love the struggle. I like being uncomfortable, creating new companies, and along. The way I'm also an author of, I've written and co-written 16 books now, I think, maybe 17, I'm not sure. And I speak in 35 countries. So I'm all about communication, really. And while I'm building companies, I share my, my struggle through my columns in Forbes or through my books or through my talks. And usually I speak at big, big, big conferences around the world, motivating people to allow themselves, Chris, to be uncomfortable and learning, uh, teaching them to enjoy the, the pain that goes through life. And I had a lot of struggle in my own life. I, you know, I 
I lived in the street. I was kicked out of school in seventh grade. I was on welfare. I couldn't get a job. I struggled. I, you know, my parents went bankrupt twice. My dad was an alcoholic, abusive. You know, I can just, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, if you just think of the 50 things you don't want your son to experience in his life, take the boxes. I will take all the boxes off. You know, it's awful. But I'm using myself as a case, really, that even if you have been having a difficult start in your life, even though if you might not be the smartest person with the straight A's, by knowing how to program your brain and by knowing how to optimize whatever you have been given by God or nature or mom or whatever, how you look at it, you can do amazing things in your life. And I'm so broken. I'm broken into a million pieces. But I'm perfectly broken, you know what I mean? Like, I'm so proud of all my scars and, you know, I'm so proud of it. I feel like a warrior, right? I've, I'm taking all those battles and, and I really enjoy my life. It's been two-third pain, one-third pleasure. And I think I'm so amazed that I survived my own life. And I'm so thrilled that I get the chance to motivate and inspire other people through my books or through my talks or through my companies. And I think that's uh, that's who I am in a nutshell. And I'm married to a guy that I met 24 years ago. He's the love of my life. I'm a mom to two amazing kids. And I, I actually didn't want to become a mom because I thought I would be a horrible mom. But it turns out I'm a great mom. I'm a great mom, even though that I didn't know how to be a mom. So I also like to talk about taboos, you know. So that's who I am, I think, in a nutshell. And if I should use one word, it is I'm extremely hardworking. That's my number one skill is lots of people get great ideas, right? But I actually execute them. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot in there that, that I want to have a chat about with you. And one of the things I think is, is in regards to pain to start with. And pain's a really interesting topic. It is everyone is in pain at some point and everyone kind of a lot of people I think have the idea that pain is is a bad thing that pain is something that we shouldn't be experiencing and they live they live a life to try and avoid a lot of pain but I really like what you said in regards to actually pain has been a a really important part of your life it's given you some scars and it's taught you some lessons and it's made you find out more about yourself and about who you are and what you enjoy and and how you can help others and it's a topic that we we don't particularly talk about a whole Mm. lot and as I mentioned it's a topic that we don't particularly talk about here in New Zealand especially as as young males how did you come to the acceptance that pain was an okay part of your life and the pain was actually a beneficial part of your life? So let me be honest, uh, Chris. I didn't really have much of a choice. Like my life was so painful. As long as I remember, I wasn't even two or three years old. When I remember, my first thought was, when can I move away from my parents, right? I mean, was, I was so young. And I didn't have much of a choice to not be in a pain, right? I mean, I just, my life was full of pain and loneliness and uh, really not nice. And, but you know, I'm not a quitter. You don't have the options of giving up. Of course, you can kill yourself, right? But I'm not suicidal. So you kind of learn how to live with pain. And I have luckily never had physically pain besides a few aberrations and labor. And, you know, I haven't had physical pain. But I imagine it's kind of the same, Chris, in terms of you learn to live with the pain. And you know what's really interesting? People can't tell that you are in pain. Lots of people who have a lot of pain in their life, emotionally, even physical, they learn how to cope with it, right? So you just live your life 
with the pain. And I've never been much of a drinker. I don't do drugs. I used to smoke. That actually helped me with my nerves or whatever. But I lived with the pain. And for me, breathing and hoping, I'm not religious, so I didn't do any praying, but I was, I knew I was hoping that someday all this would stop and my life would be better. And every single day, as long as I remember, even when I was 10, 11, 12, I thought about what would be the next good step for me to take now to create a better future for myself. I never, ever expected someone to rescue me. I knew that I would have the, the strength to go out and design a better life for myself at some point. And this is without having any mentors, any inspirational persons or people in my life. This was purely from inside. So I realized very, very recent that I've been good in visualizing my future, even when I was very young. And I knew I would be happy. I knew I would fall in love with a great person. I knew I would live in a, ter a terrific place. I knew I would be working with something I loved. And this is despite of, I didn't know anyone who loved their jobs. I, I lived in very poor areas immigrants, violence, abuse, um, you know, so I didn't have any role models, Chris, I didn't, but I knew I was going to have a great life. And honestly, look at me now, right? I'm happily married, two healthy kids. I live in Palo Alto. I mean, I run my company from here. I mean, for me, it's beyond life. It's larger than life, right? And I'm turning 44 now and I've really the last 15 years of my life has been like a fairy tale really I mean not completely I've had a lot of sitbacks too but but it's been like almost too good to be true right but I think it's like breaking an arm right I mean the thing is when you broke it when you break an arm or a leg or whatever you know it's going to take seven eight nine weeks or whatever right when you're in emotional pain you don't know when it stops and you know what it only stops the day you start seeking treatment or starting talking to people and every time I go through pain today, and I go to pain, go through pain still, things do not always work out the, the way I want them to work out. When you work with business partners, people steal your money, or you have to close a company, you, you know, things are going on all the time. Nothing is as expected. I mean, barely anything else is in life. But it doesn't hit me as hard as I can tell it will hit other people. I'm perfectly fine by being a failure or by failing because you can't really take anything away from me. I'm used to having nothing. I'm used to being nobody. So how can you take anything away from me? My success is not me. My failure is not me. I am me. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't know. I, it's um, very weird. I think that's a really important point that you make as well is that like your life now is, is it's pretty awesome, but there is still a lot of time that you have pain. Even the end goal is to kind of become better at dealing with pain. Yeah, and I am. And I think every week, every week I have one big pain. I mean, big in terms of, you know, it's a crucial thing that's happening. It can break or make it or whatever. Maybe once a week is too much, but it, it, I think it happens very often, very often because, you know, the the bigger dreams I have, the more investments I put into things, the more I risk. I'm not afraid, Chris. I think I'm not afraid. You know, the only thing I'm afraid of is if something happens to my kids. That's the only thing I fear. But anything else, I'm not fearful. I don't let my fear control me and I don't let my ego control me either. And those ego and fear are two very dangerous drivers because your ego will always make you make decisions that are good for you and your ego, but they might not be the best for you long term or for other people. And fear kills 
every centimeter, every drop of creativity that you might have in you. Fear, there's no good things to set about fear. So fear and failures and egos and, you know, if you want to be successful, one of the things you should master is your brain. You should kind of think like your brain is a horse. You are riding that horse, right? The horse is not taking you out for a walk, right? I mean, you you have to ride your brain. And I've learned so much about how to control my own mind and how to program it. And being uncomfortable is as natural as being in love or being hungry or Yeah, I actually grow every time I'm uncomfortable. That's when I grow and that's when I learn new stuff. I don't learn anything from success, hardly. The only thing that happens if I'm super successful all the time is I kind of start getting a little bit of an asshole syndrome. I realize I am. Like, (laughs) I don't know why I get impatient. Like, I, I start thinking I'm good. And it's good to think you're good. But you're not that good. You know what I mean? Like, I need to stay humble. It's a thing I meditate on every single day. Stay humble stay humble and I know it's interesting right because I know I think I come across as being humble I think I am humble I think most people would say I am but it's something I have to meditate on it is so easy to be carried away because you get some nomination or some award or whatever I don't even have it in my I don't have them in my house I don't have them you know some people put their awards on the on 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 the walls right or put them in the living room I don't even know where my awards are like I, I don't even have them in my house I burn them. I, you know, I don't look at them because it was yesterday. Yeah. So I try to stay super humble because I don't want to be an asshole. And everyone has a little bit of an asshole in him or herself. I mean, everyone. And uh, I have to master that so I don't become one. Does it make sense, mm, Chris? It does, it does make sense. It does make sense. And again, there's a lot. There's a lot in that. And I think fear and, and ego are things that a lot of people struggle with. And people are probably aware to a certain extent that they struggle with fear and that obviously there's this kind of physical sensations when you're afraid that uh, and you know, hey, I, I want to go and do something, but this, this fear is holding me back from it. But I think ego is a, it's a slightly different concept and that often we're not aware of our ego to use your metaphor, our ego is driving the or riding the horse, and it's it's taking us in directions that that maybe kind of aren't that beneficial for us. It's that we're kind of we're seeking validation or we're looking for something to to stroke our ego based on the decisions that we make, and and I think that's that's when you can start like if your if your ego is riding the horse. That sometimes when you can start to have that that asshole syndrome that you're that you're talking about, or I have I have a saying, just don't be a dick. Yeah. And don't be a dick. I love it. You don't. <laughs> sometimes sometimes I am a dick. And yeah. but I think it's that it's kind of that constant striving of not to be an asshole. Don't be a dick. Don't let your ego take charge of the horse because I think that's when that's when that that stuff kind of manifests that is when the ego's in charge not when you're in charge I have to say it's a very simple thing and uh, you know people usually don't like things that are simple because we are being taught that everything should be difficult but really everything changed in my life Chris the moment I stopped pushing with my ego the moment I stopped directing my life designing my life so that it was so that I was living accordingly to my values. And my values are something I call the five Fs, not the five FFs, so what are five Fs, I'll tell you. And everything changed for me. The conversations I had with people, my intentions when I went for, you know, meetings, receptions, parties, dinners, you know, 
everything changed while because I decided I don't need to be the interesting person in the room. I rather want to be interested in people. That changed a lot for me. I closed all my conversations by saying, how may I help you? How can I help you in the future? What help do you need? And actually, those two very simple things, I'm not trying to be interesting and I'm trying to help everyone I meet. That changed my life. I have to say that changed everything. But if I start pushing with my ego, if I start controlling, if I start doing all those things, that is when things doesn't go well for me. And trust me, I have failed so many times. I mean, you don't write 16, 17 books without having a lot of failures, right? I mean, you have to have something to write about, right? So I fail a lot and I learn fast. I know it's a cliche and it's kind of cheesy, but it is really the case. And every time things happens in my life, I really stop and think, oh man, now I'm here again. Why? Why? And then I do things differently. Or I seek advice by people at, that are more experienced than I am within things. And then I really seek out people who tell me, you are being a dick for the time being. You are like the way you read your, you write your emails. And sometimes I get caught in a Twitter fight. You know, I don't know if you ever do that, Chris. It's horrible. But you know, you're busy and you just do it with your left hand and you know it comes out wrong and people misunderstand you. It's so easy to be caught up in discussions and because everyone tweets whatever goes on in their life every second, right? So I really, really try to think about how I best spend my energy and how to heal and how to make sure that I'm mentally well showered. I call it the brain hygiene. And I try to be surrounded by good, positive people. I mean, that's really the recipe, I think, for what I'm doing. It's very basic. It's horribly basic, but it's really efficient for me. Like I was having this conversation yesterday with, with someone as well, is that it's a lot of the stuff about looking after ourselves is from a really minimalist approach, is that mm. actually we don't need to add a whole lot of stuff. It's it's doing the basics and, yeah, kind of showering your brain and doing the doing the really simple things that just make us make us better people. And I'm actually quite interested in, at the time you decided to drop the ego and 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 change things and and you saw this this big change in yourself like what what happened there was there a catalyst that caused you to do that or was it a something that had been building up over a period of time so i don't remember we probably spoke about this last time we spoke but remember i was laid off from my job three times <laughs> that's pretty horrible and I actually think I'm good at my, like, I, I thought I was good at what I was doing. And it, it was kind of unexpected all three times. And the last time I was laid off, I was pregnant. So that was really horrifying. But the thing is, I, you know, when you, when you start your own business, um, when you're an entrepreneur, when you have to start up completely from scratch, you have to hustle, right? You need so many people to help you. You need so much help to get into the right networks. You need people to recommend you. You need, like, I'm not saying that you don't need that when you were employed, but honestly, I worked for HP, Microsoft, Foreign Ministry. <laughs> I mean, I worked for those amazing big companies. If you call, people pick up, right? And I think that, and I was extremely celebrated because I was one of the very few female uh, managers uh, in my country. I'm from Denmark. I was the only brown Moroccan, African ever, you know? So I think... In a way, I think my ego got caught up with that, and uh, and so when I was laid off the third laid off the third time, I realized, you know, I'm doing something wrong here, 
and I was right. I'm not saying I don't. I'm not saying that I uh, deserve to be laid off. Actually, I think I did not. But I also realized that maybe I'm not that easy to work with, and maybe you know, maybe I should work on myself a little. Anyway, the long the long story very short is when you become an entrepreneur, you realize. You can just not push things with your ego. You can, but less people will help you. And the reason being that I now have a global company and have been successfully running four companies is that I work with great teams, great people, and I don't have the need to be the smartest person in the team. I do what I'm good at. So actually, Chris, what was the turning point? I needed a paycheck. <laughs> I need, <laughs> like, no, it's like I learned the hard way also, I have to say. I don't learn from gentle pokes. I need, like, smashing my face. That's when I realize when I do things wrong. Sometimes we need to learn those lessons a, a few times before we actually understand them, that things need to happen to us a couple of times over and over before we get the message sometimes we're lucky and we learn quickly from the first one sometimes we do need as you say you need to get punched in the face a couple of times before you think well actually no I do need to do something different here this isn't this isn't working for me and also you know Chris I don't know how many of your subscribers who are looking for jobs and maybe wants to advance in their life and careers I imagine that's a lot of them and here's a here's a fun thing because I always get asked so how to get a well-paid job how to you know raise money by investors and all that and I said you know what and, and let me give you an example I had a call last week I might join a very profitable very uh, senior exclusive position in a very big like in a board for a very famous foundation and super well-paid super high level probably the most exclusive offer I ever had in my life as being you know a board member in and you know what we spoke two-thirds of the time about things I did wrong in my life two-thirds of the time was spent on all the mistakes I've done like for instance learned you know the asshole syndrome right and the headhunter couldn't believe her own ears when I talked about that I have that in me and that I need to master and control it and she returned and said you know what I really enjoyed our conversations I'm so impressed it made me think about how much time we spend on talking about our success and not what we really should be learning, talking about, namely, what have you learned from your life? Mm. So I think hopefully this will inspire more people to say, yes, I have some very dark sides. My, my personality also have some things that are not nice. And just talk about it. Because if I if I employ if I'm your employer and I hire you, I want to know how you, who you are like or what you're like when you're super stressed, when you don't get enough sleep, when you don't eat healthy, when you have no time to exercise, when you are having a disagreement at home. I want to know who you are. How can I support you when you're going through hell? That's really cool. And that's a challenge for a lot of people. I know from interviewing people for, for jobs before, like the standard re- response to uh, what are some of your shortcomings is, oh, sometimes I take on too much work. Sometimes I say yes too many times, which is the very standard rather than kind of talking about these these challenging parts of, of ourselves because it's, they're quite confronting for us to, to face ourselves, which I think it probably ties back into how you need to get punched a few times before before you start addressing these things. And... It's really fascinating to me. Like a lot of us are able to acknowledge it in ourselves, but it's that that sharing of these these kind of darker places of ourselves and these things that we don't particularly like that yep. 
is really difficult and really uncomfortable. And I think like I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts about what, what you think about that. But some of the things for me is sometimes the, the sharing of them is, again, because we're, because we're letting our ego drive us um, and we mm. don't want to lose we don't want to lose face in front of, of of people that we kind of perceive as as high level but also sometimes it's because we haven't figured out a solution to that yet so we don't want to we don't want to share it and and just kind of admit that we're in trouble and we can't sort it out ourselves just at the moment yeah because we think it's embarrassing right and but I don't know about you but I really appreciate to have conversations with people deep conversations, right? And people, conversations that matters, right? And I'm super addicted to having meaningful conversations. And I like leaving a dinner thinking, oh man, that really touched me or that inspired me. Or I think by opening up myself, I think most people feel like the urge to share yourself. I mean, we always wanted a third child and for some reason, both times we were pregnant, we both of the babies didn't survive. I mean, and this is very recent, I mean, the last few years. And I think I was very public about me, you know, like I really want a third kid and we are like working on it. And when it failed both times, it was tragic. It was a tragedy, right? And it, the newspapers brought it and it was like kind of in the public eye. And, but the thing is, I found out that so many couples, men and women, have been through the very same thing, and apparently this is a taboo. Chris, I had no idea losing a baby was a taboo. How can that be a taboo? It's na- nature. How can that be a taboo? I, I don't feel embarrassed. I didn't do anything wrong, right? It's nature. And the thing is, I don't get it. Why are we hiding those things, like the things I've been through in my life, from everything from sexual abuse by my a family member to my, my, my dad who drank way too much, and me you know, living in the streets and being in children's homes, foster care, should I be ashamed of that upbringing? Listen, that is my book, you know, that is my DNA, that is my life. And I have decided to make the best out of my life. And by sharing, Chris, by sharing this pain, it doesn't feel heavy for me to carry it. Back to your point, men and women should find a safe place to talk about things. Your soul is not made for carrying those things, all that load by itself. It cannot, it will break. So you need to get a, an outlet. It can, it can be music, or it can be drugs, it can be you know going fishing, I don't know, whatever you find loving, but you know, People are made for having a conversation. We die earlier. We we have bad health if we don't have good friends. So as a Dane, the happiest nation on earth, make sure you have good friends. You don't need many, but just one good friend, really, that you can talk to honestly without being ashamed. It's funny that you use that we talk about also a little bit of shame. As a woman, even from a Scandinavian country, we grow up a little bit thinking that we should be shameful of being sexual active or shameful of having ambitions or shameful of we want to go back to work after having a baby. You know, those shameful thoughts that we grow up with, and I think it's universal for most women and men. I think men have their own thing that they're shameful of. Shame is a punishment that I don't like at all. I People sometimes say to me, you should be, you should be ashamed of yourself if I talk about taboos. I'm like, uh, actually, I'm not ashamed. <laughs> I refuse to be ashamed, Chris again that's that's very very cool 
And I think you're, there's a lot of stuff that we don't talk about that is painful and is taboo for, for some strange reason that I, I can't figure out. And I mean, with, your, with what you were saying earlier about losing, losing a, a child in pregnancy, is, that's something that we've, we had as well. And it's, it's really painful at the time and, it, and, it's, and it's hard to deal with, but it's, it's also something that is quite natural and, and that sometimes pregnancies don't work out for a variety of reasons. But it's something that, that no one particularly talks about. And I, I can't remember the stats, but it's... It's a reasonably high proportion. It's sort of 20 or 40%. Don't quote me on this internet, but um, yeah, it's a significant amount. But no one, no one talks about that because, because there's that, that, that sense of shame around it. And I think it's, a, it's by having conversations that are, that are deeper with, with friends or with people on podcasts that you then put out onto the internet that we start to train ourselves out of holding on to that shame holding on to that guilt around around just parts of our life that that make us who we are i mean the social pressure on men and women you know it's so easy just to say that there's a social pressure on women but you know i have a son right and um i want to share a moment with you because um you know i'm a un women ambassador advisor I'm on so many foundations that are supporting helping women. My latest business here in the U.S. is about women. You know, I, I understand women really well, and I love helping women back into the workforce or, you know, all those things. But listen, Chris, at some point, my son, I think this is two years ago, he's 11, and, and out of nowhere, he just said, Mom, listen, it's time for you to start saying something nice about boys too. And I said, but I am. I mean, I love men. I love boys. What are you talking about? And he said, but you mostly speak about women. And you always talk about the future is female and women can do whatever they want. And, you know, and I didn't, I didn't realize, Chris, I'm actually advocating more for women than I was for boys, right? And I have a boy. And that made me, that made me stop for a moment thinking, hey, actually, I'm assuming that women, women are having a more difficult life than men. Then I look at it. Then I start looking into real data on men, human, young men, modern men. You really deserve to have your revolution. You still haven't had it. We have had our Me Too, and we're still going strong with that. But you guys have not had your moment yet. You really didn't. And I think it's time for the men to also define what does it mean to be a real man. You know what I mean? Like, and you know what I mean? Like, you shouldn't be one type, but like. Why can't men be as loving dads as they want? Why can't they be as proud stay-at-home dads as some mama? Or why can't they, you know, why can't men have all that the women can today? For instance, the need for speaking openly about, you know, pain and heartbreaks and <laughs> things that we go through. I mean, why can't we have that? I think that's a... We love talking about women are under such a social pressure, but actually I think men are under even more social pressure. I don't know what you think about it. Mm, yeah, and I've been privileged enough to have some, some awesome conversations with, with guys that are kind of leading the way in this space. 
Um, mm. And one of one of the, my recent ones with is with a guy called Trevor Baum, and he's a, an advocate for men embracing their masculinity. Yeah. And that's not kind of your your typical sort of uh, Marlboro man sort of masculinity, <laughs> but it's a, it's embracing it's embracing the pain, and it's about figuring out who you are. But it's also about embracing the fact that you're strong, you're fit. Well, hopefully you're fit. Um, and embracing those masculine qualities that that we as guys have, that sometimes we get told the message that actually it's wrong to mm-hmm. have them, which is which is really quite confusing, especially for for young guys. So, I think um, in one of one of his one of the things that he says is that that hurt people, and for guys for young guys especially that kind of don't embrace their masculinity and don't haven't haven't figured out who they are or had helped to figure out who they are and kind of what it means for them to be a man there's a lot of there's a lot of pain associated with that and and as we talked about sometimes the outlet for that pain is is suicide but sometimes yeah. the outlet for that pain as well is violence so well, it's yeah. it's yeah. it's rape it's mass shootings it's killings yeah. it's it's going down that that track and i think it's important for you as a as, as a female leader to to talk about that stuff but it's also really important for and I think the way the way forward is for men to talk about this as well and for men to have these conversations within themselves and stereotypically it's not something that that men have been particularly good at or particularly comfortable with um and that's why it's like I, f- I feel privileged to to know some guys that are that are kind of leading the way in this area. Um, and again, it's the more conversations that we can have about it, the less shame there is around being a man and kind of and and having that that masculine revolution as well that you were talking about. So I was in San Francisco a few weeks ago and I talked to a producer of documentary uh, movies on men and manhood and all that, and he st- he told me. That the, that the root cause of a lot of mass shootings in the U.S., one was very close by just a few weeks ago in Gilroy. Um, and we were supposed to go there that Sunday, and we changed our mind. So for us, that was a close thing, you know. I mean, that was that was a little bit too close. But, um, but he told me that uh, a lot of those mass shootings apparently comes out of anti... I wouldn't say anti-women, but they have been hurt by women. They don't... Like it's it's fundamentally something with men and women that relationship that hurt them some way, and he told me, I don't know if this is science physically documented either, but it, I find it the narrative is interesting. He said, "Listen, Sulaima, you have a son. If you want him to grow up as a healthy young man, you know what you should try to impact. And I know this is not going to be easy for you, but you should try to impact that his first girlfriend is a nice girl." that breaks up with him in a nice way. <laughs> because apparently the first love, I don't know, Chris, do you remember your first love? Yep, yep. Yeah? Was that a good or a bad love? <laughs> Overall you know? good. Overall good, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's actually important. When I think about my ex-boyfriends and my husband today, they all had ex-girlfriends before they had me. We were, we were very young at that age though but they had ex-boyfriends I had one for five years before I had Brian so I, I, I committed myself very early to two amazing men not at the same time of course but um, <laughs> but 
he had a very stable relationship with a with a young girl before he had me as well and we were like only 16 years old that time right and with brian he had a long lasting relationship from he was 15 or 16 with another girl and we met when he was 18 and i was 20. so i'm just saying both of my the love of my life he had a good relationship and my ex-boyfriend that i also loved a lot he had a very good relationship with a girl before he had me so those men are so healthy you know what i mean healthy balanced not messed up so you know if any moms are listening and dads are listening to this make sure your son is going to have a good healthy relationship at least for the first in the first relationship mm. because that matters does it make sense or do you think it does it, it does make sense and like i think i mean it, it, it's challenging as a as a parent to impose your will on your children in reg, in regards to that like connor's only one but <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard for me to even get him to do what I want uh, and I can pick him up and move him around um, but I think it's it's also being there to uh, to support your children as well or um, being able to facilitate support for them if if they do get hurt and helping them to understand that actually pain is pain's a normal part of life pain uh you need pain to make the the happy times feel happy and that that every emotion is is it's a fleeting emotion that that pain is going to pass happiness is going to pass sadness is going to pass hunger when you eat is going to pass yeah it's true i mean um um so in our house we talk about the benefit of not getting what you really really want Right? Sometimes it's not, you shouldn't get what you really, really want because you learn a lot from not getting what you want. And we, and we do exercise postponing personal needs. So for instance, uh, I've been told that it's a good thing to say, no, it's as one, one hour for dinner to dinner. I'm sorry you're hungry, but you will survive. It's just one hour, you know. It's a healthy wait time. And um, we tell them that they need to save money if they want to buy things. So they have like we don't do impulse shopping very rarely. They wait for things. They 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 have to enjoy the. You know, when you and I grew up, we waited for stuff to arrive with the post post mm. postman, right? I mean, today is like one day delivery, and everything is there immediately. We don't do that. We try to um, make them understand that pain, and and waiting for stuff and all that, and um, is a good thing, and we practice it at home. A lot. I mean, because in for us, in order to grow up children with a healthy emotional intelligence, it's not only about being good and nice to other people and read other people and see what they need. It's also about being able to control your own own impulses, right? That's emotional intelligence, and and they need to be able to control themselves. Yeah, yeah, and and, and, and I share my pain with them. They know if I get horrible feedback from investors or if I get written feedback that is not nice, I share it with them and we talk about it really. And, and they're like, oh mom, that's horrible. But oh man, can you prepare, can you, can you improve this, you know? And we talk about it so when they come home with feedback that is not super nice or grades that are not amazing, we talk about it and I show them my grades, you know what I mean? Like I still get grades, right? Well, if, if I do a presentation, I get written feedback afterwards, right? And 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 luckily, it's primarily good. But if there is some negative feedback, I share it with them. Why shouldn't I? 
Yeah, and I think that the negative stuff is is what we learned the most from. As like this, that's been kind of a theme of this conversation so far. It's that it's that hard stuff is where we learn. As the positive stuff is nice and it's good to have, but we don't always get the the opportunity to learn and improve from it, um, which we have a have a responsibility to do. Um, so I think that's kind of a nice segue to to talk and uh, to move in to have a chat about your about your book. No more excuses. And I realize we've been talking for 40 minutes already before <laughs> before jumping into this. But you're, you're super fun to talk to. Like, where did the concept for the book No More Excuses come about? So, you know, I meet a lot of people just like yourself. And um, apparently a lot of people think I'm so brave. And some people even think I'm super lucky. That's the point where I can't stop laughing because honestly, I am everything but lucky. <laughs> but... Um, uh, and they think, you know, uh, that I live such an exciting life. I live in, in an exciting area of the U.S. I, I've, I've lived in four countries. I've done so many great things. And they keep saying, oh, I wish I was you. First, I always say, are you sure you really want to be me? Because then you have to go back and go through all the things I've done to become who I am, right? Um, number two, I always ask them, so what, what is your dream? And they will say, you know, most people have a life dream, something that they would love to implement or execute or do or build or share or whatever. And then they always come up with an excuse in terms of, oh, but the timing is not right. I don't have the money that I need. I don't have the competences. I don't have the energy. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And I've heard it all. And every time I hear those excuses, I'm like, stop it. Everything can be done, even if you have no arms, no legs, no money, no competence, no, no knowledge about how to move to Uganda, right, and open a school. If that's what you really want to do, we will find a way. It's all about using, you know, a method, a strategy, and, and plan it, and get the right people engaged at the right time in the process, really. And I'm a master in execution. I was just rewarded. I don't know, Chris, if you know that, but for the first time ever in history, a woman at my age, African Danish, is nominated as being a Thinkers 50. And I'm actually up against the founder of LinkedIn, you know, so it's pretty, it's a pretty big thing. Mm. And uh, I'm shortlisted, but I will know that in November, if I receive that, it's like the Oscars of, um, of thinkers. But, um, and I'm nominated, Chris, in the category execution. And that is, you could also be nominated as a talent or whatever. I don't want to be a talent. I rather want to be an executor. You know what I mean? Like that's that's something I, I, I really treasure. So I'm all about execution. and But I don't hear execution. I hear excuses. And I think that's sad. And so that's that was the, that was the motivation of writing the book, No More Excuses, was I basically I argue and I take you through all the excuses in the world that you can come up like think of and they're in the book and I will tell you why that cannot why that should not be an excuse that's a very short version of why I wrote this book and why I'm actually giving it away for for free really so um because I think it's um it's time for uh, it's time for us to realize that life is now we only have this life we only have this moment and I just hate to sit next to a person at a dinner 
that is bitter, jealous, and all like all the worst possible things you can think of. It's so sad to see a soul suffering because that person is too afraid of living out his or her dreams. I think it's a waste of good life. And I'm so saddened by seeing the amount of people who are afraid of being afraid. They rather stay in what they don't like and instead of being uncomfortable for a period of time and really reach that level of happiness that is just around the corner if you dare to take the first step into being uncomfortable. Mm. And I I really like that concept and, and completely agree with you. And like one, one thing that kind of came up for me is there's, there's a saying, everyone has two lives, their first life and yeah. the second life that starts when they realize they only have one. Ooh, I get, I get uh, goosebumps. Yeah, it's, uh, that's true. And you, you know, everything gets so different the moment you realize why you're here and what is your purpose. Yet most people do not know what they're supposed to do with their life. Mm. And that's one thing that I wanted to talk to you about, actually, is how do you figure that out? Because there's a lot of stuff out there, and I know that you have another book coming out uh, soon as well in regards to the future of work. And so there's going to be a lot of new stuff that, that comes out as well in terms of things that we can be doing and purposes that we can have for our life. Like how do you how do we start to think about what is what is our purpose what are we what are we passionate about first of all you need to um, you need you will need to have an honest conversation with yourself and I'm saying this with purpose because we're lying to ourselves every morning when we wake up we we, we, um, we think that we um, that we should be living a, we should be living in a certain way and 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 I'm saying this living in US where the fear of living in the streets or being homeless does exist. Most people live from paycheck to paycheck, unlike the country that I grew up in, Denmark, where we have a welfare security net uh, taking care of you. So I see, I, I'm not like, I'm not naive. That's what I'm trying to say. I, I know, I know why you should be making money. And I understand completely that this is no fun. This is a serious game, healthcare, education, everything, you need money. But what I've seen is every time I sit with a person, I talk to a person, that person who is successful and and in peace with him or herself, the one who have a peaceful mind and the ones who are actually truly successful and have that mo- that amount of money that they need, and that amount is very different from person to person. Those people who have lives that are less less fearful and less stressed and more purposeful are the ones who have dared to have the conversation with themselves, not with their ego, but with themselves about what truly makes me happy. What am I truly good at? Do I believe that this could be my living? Could I turn that into a living? And you can turn this into a living if you're good at it, if you enjoy doing it, if you can find a segment, someone who will appreciate what you're doing and will be willing to pay you for doing what you do. But most people don't get that skill set. Entrepreneurship, how to get paid for your job that you're doing, how to how to find a segment, how to how to how to work how to find the real the best place for you to work even, how to cast your next employer, all those things that you and I know how to do. Most people don't know these things. So somehow nations are failing in educating the citizens 
in how to create their own future, how to design their own future. It is, it, it's sad. And what really interesting is it's not difficult to learn or to teach them. Mm. And I think with, with that conversation that you, that you have with yourself around, around what it is that you, that you like and, and what you're good at. And, um, do you have the, do you have the opportunity to, uh, create the future for yourself from this? That's a, that's a conversation. It's not just one conversation. I think that you need to have with yourself. I think it's a, it's a multitude of conversations that you need to go back and continue to have because, especially if you're just starting out in the process, it, you're going to peel, peel things back like the layer of an onion. So yeah. I've, I've had multiple conversations with myself about, Hey, what is it that I, that I really want? And what is it that I, that I want to do? And that's, that's evolved over time and it's going to continue to evolve. I think as my life progresses as well as that, as, um, like what I, what I think I want now as a dad is, <laughs> is slightly different to what I thought I wanted um, a couple of years ago before I became a dad. So it's that, it's that consistency and regularity of, of having that conversation with yourself to, um, to continue to get better at figuring mm. out what it is that you do want. Mm. I, think, um, I think what is also important to think of is that you, we live longer. Remember, we talked about that previously. We live longer, meaning you will probably have multiple careers in your life, meaning your life will change many times in your life. And you're supposed to work much more, much longer than ever before. And you will not have the physical power or the mental hunger or the ambitions or the drive equally high all life through, right? It is impossible. So throughout your life, you need to stop and think how and with what am I going to work five years from now? What is going to hit my industry? How is the outlook looking for the, the area that I'm lo living in, right? You will see industry dies around you, right? Shops that are disappearing. You will see things being moved to different countries or cities or whatever. You have to have that hard conversation with yourself about are you, are you aware enough of the trends that is hitting you three to five years from now? Look at your health. If you continue to do what you do now, whatever you listen to us, whatever you do right now, if you keep drinking a bottle of wine every night, if you keep smoking and eating crap and you're sitting in your car commuting to work every day and you do something you don't like for a manager you don't respect, you're not going to live long, right? I mean, most likely not. You have to think about what can you do? What, what, what decisions do you have to make today to make your life worth living three, four, five years from now. And don't give me that excuse. It's all about money. You know, money is never and should never be your end goal, really. And, and, and you can make enough money for you to feel safe and being able to take care of your loved ones if just and only you have that conversation with yourself and really think about what kind of work you should have three to five years from now. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you are pretty much privileged. I'm pretty sure, you know, you have Wi-Fi, you probably own your own car. Like there's certain things you have if you tune into this podcast, I'm sure. But of course, there's always circumstances that are so tragic that we can discuss that that's not possible. For most of us listening to this podcast, I'm sure we have a choice, some choice. Mm. 
Yeah, and I, I, I would agree with that. And I think, I mean, I know that the vast majority of people living in New Zealand live in a in a pretty privileged situation. Um, and and that's not to say that there aren't hardships in in their lives, but um, for for the majority of people, we we live in a pretty privileged place. Um, and I think that's 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 probably the case also in the in the US and and in Denmark as well. Is that the majority of the population is is very privileged? Um, I mean. Yeah, I mean, as we speak right now, there's a woman in Uganda who's walking 10 miles a day just to bring water back. And she's hope, hope she's hoping for not being raped on that trip today, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the change in perspective is uh, is really interesting when you when you start to think about it from from that point of view. And one of the excuses that I wanted to discuss with you um, was especially like changes changes hard yeah and and it's uncomfortable but you you talk about the concept of the art of being an amateur yeah which like is, is a nice way to think about change can you can you describe that for us i mean we yeah and i like i love the i love the fact that you picked this out um so you know i i very often when i talk to people about what they want to do in their life they want, they want to become some kind of an expert. They want to come to some kind of a plateau where they're like being paid and comfortable, right? And knowing what they're doing. Where things are not too hard and when they can start enjoying life. That's kind of what they aim for, right? That's what they, that's like kind of the, the end goal, right? That, that's when they consider themselves as successful. Me, on the other hand, I find myself most alive, most successful, Every time I allow myself to become an amateur, <laughs> doing things I have no clue how to do. And every seven, ten years in my life, and I've done this for the last 30 years, I've given myself big changes, right? And, um, and specifically, I mean, now it's probably down to every five years I change radically in my life. And I also have a saying that uh, when I'm an amateur, that's actually where I'm at my best. All my senses are alive. My brain works nonstop. I'm humble. <laughs> and I network better because I need people more than ever because I don't know how to solve this or that. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in Palo Alto right now and I'm raising my, my next round for my company and I never raised money really this amount before. And, you know, I'm a complete amateur raising money in, 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 in you know, in, in, a, in an area where everyone is like the early investor in Google or Facebook or whatever, you know, and they're so experienced. And here I am like totally unexperienced with that. I've, I've run business for many years, but I've never had investors before. Not in, not at least in, in this, um, in, in this, um, as heavy as those, right. That I'm talking to. And, and, uh, I listen to podcasts. I go through summer school. Uh, I have private tutors, you know, and it's like taking, uh, it's like taking an MBA again. You know what I mean? My brain is so electrical. I'm out of myself of happiness. I'm exhausted. I'm an amateur. And some of my friends are like, but you don't, you're not a fundraiser. You never raised money before. Why don't you just get someone to do it? I'm like, no, it is the best time of my life because I'm an amateur. I'm learning. The learning curve is so steep. I'm so happy. So I do this all the time. And remember, I moved to US three years ago and people were like, why would you move to US? 
You're so successful in Scandinavia. Why on earth would you jeopardize your success going to a country where they have millions just like you? And I'm like, because I can. And, um, and it's been a struggle, really. And I enjoyed every single moment of it. I changed industries. I started a bank, you know that six years ago or something, right? I, I, I was asked to be a CEO of a fintech bank financed by Hitachi in Japan. I never been, a, I, I don't know anything about fintech. I spent three years, I mean, I love it. It's my DNA. I allow myself to do something. I have no clue about how I'm going to do that. And it's the biggest privilege in my life. Yeah, and that, that is, it's a really amazing way to, to look at it um, and look at look at change. And I think when when people are first starting out, trying something new and, and looking to be an amateur, it's um, like you don't need to you don't need to go big to start with. You don't need to uh, try and be the CEO of a, of a bank um, to to begin with. It might be as simple as uh, changing the way that you do something at work to try and improve it um, and, and stepping out of what it, what, what it was that you've, you've always done and then building on top of that uh, to train yourself to get better at change and to, be, to get better at, uh, at enjoying being an amateur. But you know, amateur has such a bad reputation, something like being non-professional or whatever. But actually, there's a lot of deep uh, philosophy uh, around amateurs saying it's actually the opposite. It's actually a good thing. So, you know, um, it depends on how you look at it. Um, I'm so proud of doing things I don't know how to do. And then when I succeed with them, right, then then I know how to do that. And, and let me take fundraising just as a just as an example. I never thought I would raise those amount of money that I'm raising and I'm super proud of it. And you know how I, so I should explain my husband why, why, why we should do this and you know, um, and I said, so here's the deal. I feel that I know by, by being able to raise money, it feels like I know how to go fishing. You know what I mean? Like I will always know how to get food for the family, like because now I know how to fish. You know what I mean? If you don't know how to fundraise, you mostly have a lot of dreams in your life, but you will always think how to get this financed, how to make this profitable in a very short period of time. And that's good. That's very good. It's called business, you know, um, skills for building a business that's profitable and all that. But if you can raise money, there's really nothing you cannot build. Do you know what I mean? So it's just taking another step up really by being able to, and, and who knows, in the end, I might start investing in other companies right and and but i'm just saying allow yourself to do things you don't know how to do and it can be small things it doesn't have to be big things as i've said yes to but this is a thing i've done all my life for instance um i'll share something something with you that you really can relate to also and that is sport uh i remember 15 years ago or 14 years ago or something i i always wanted to do a triathlon I love sports, and I've, I've read about those extreme runs, you know, the 24-hour runs, right? Mm. <laughs> and I, 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 know, I, I knew there was a race going, uh, a smaller race, but they were sold out. I couldn't do that race. And a nice woman said to me, but you can do the, you can do the extreme run. And I said, uh, I never done an extreme run. And she said, do you like running? And I said, yeah. And she said, let's sign you up for that. And I ran, and I ran twice after. <laughs> <laughs> 
I didn't know how to do that. Let me give you another example of an amateur. Uh, I don't know how to ski. I used to live in Norway and Switzerland, but I never really enjoyed skiing. I'm a skateboarder, so I don't know how to do skiing, like cross-country skiing. I don't know how to do that. And then uh, a few a few good friends, they want to sign up for a ski marathon in Switzerland. Uh, and I said, uh, okay, uh, I, I would love to join. And I signed up, and two weeks before the race, it's a ski marathon. Chris, I've never skied in my life. My husband said, you haven't been practicing. There's been no snow. You have had no time. I think you should just go and cancel. I jump on the flight. Four days before the race, I hire a private teacher. She teaches me the basics in skiing. I do the ski marathon. How much, um, talking about pain, how much pain were you in after that ski marathon? Not at all. No, like, no, really, no. I'm, so I'm, a, I'm, in a, I'm not in a pain, but I was, so I don't like heights. What I didn't realize is cross-country skiing in Switzerland means downhill. <laughs> Big time. I didn't know that. So I had moments throughout the race where I was really, really afraid. You know what's really funny? I asked the teacher, so what, what if, um, what if uh, I don't know, like what should I do if I get afraid downhill or whatever, like going through the race, not downhill, but just throughout the race. And she said something that is so basic. It, it taught me a lesson that I'm thinking about every single day to this very day. You know what she said? She said, Sulaima, sometimes just close your eyes. Your skis know the way. Because when you're cross-country skiing, you will stay in, what, how do you say that in English, Chris? You are in the, like you're in the grooves? Yeah, like everyone else is in the same path or whatever, right? So your skis are skiing kind of for you, right? And she said, your skis will know what to do. And I do that still. I sometimes, to this very day, I close my eyes and I think, you know what? My life will not let me down. It inv- it invested too much in me. It's going to be great. It's going to be fine. And I think about the skiing still. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a good analogy to, to think about it with. And... I mean, you shouldn't close your, di- you shouldn't close your eyes when you're downhill skiing. I, I, you probably know what I mean, right? But I do. It was a good narrative, and, and I use that a lot after Sentian. <laughs> Salama, where can where can people grab a copy of of your book? No more excuses. Yeah, I mean, uh, go to womenreignite dot com and um, provide me with your email address, and it will be shipped to you. Don't feel don't feel awkward about women reignite. Men are welcome to read it too, and uh, and. Yeah, it had great feedback. And last time I, I had such an ebook out, it was downloaded in 308,000 copies. So I, usually people enjoy what I'm writing and, and publishing. And uh, I hope uh, you guys will love this too. Mm. It's written from my heart and is a, is a very personal story. Uh, but I think it's, uh, it's full of good advice. If you feel that you have more to accomplish in your life, and if you feel time is now for you right to do something about all the things that you keep talking about and excusing for not doing. And remember, in just a few months, not a, not a few months, but very soon it's 2020. Insane, huh? I mean, do you want 2020 to be just another year? You know, or do you want 2020 to be the year where you do things that you really, really want to do? Mm. And I, I definitely encourage people to uh, to grab a copy, especially if you're if you're thinking about change in, in any facet of your life that... Um, this is going to help you help you overcome some of the excuses that you have that are that are holding yourself back. 
And Salama, I've, I've got some questions that I like to ask everyone towards the, the end of the conversation. And I think Ooh. I probably asked them to you last time as well. So it'll be interesting to kind of see, <laughs> see what, uh, what answers you come up with this time Ooh. around. Okay. But what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and, and how did you get through it? The last time I was uncomfortable, um, what was the last time I was uncomfortable? I'll tell you, um, by accident, I found out that I carry a very inherited health. Um, this is only a few weeks ago. I inherited somehow a health and a, a heart DNA thing. It's anyway, I don't know. I, I don't remember what, how you say that in English, but it's, um, it, you're not necessarily likely to get a heart attack, but you you are you inherited a bigger risk, and mine is off the chart. Like it's so high, so so high, that my doctor just couldn't believe it. And I'm young. I think I'm really healthy. I live healthy. I'm not stressed. I do all the right things. She was super surprised. And this is something a lot of people, by the way, carry, and we don't know. And it made me super uncomfortable. I'm so happy for my life, but if for a few seconds I felt super afraid. And actually, did you know, Chris, that the number re- one reason for women that dies are actually health issues, heart issues. It's it's bigger than cancer issues with women. Actually, heart issues. I didn't know that. Cardiovascular issues is the prime killer of women, actually, and I didn't know that. So from one day to another, I had to start thinking about myself as someone who really has to think very much about my health. Actually, I could felt dead tomorrow. And, uh, and I think that is something that is also a taboo, I think, right? But I am so healthy and I live so healthy. I don't understand it. But it's nothing about health. It's simply something I inherited. And I think that made me super uncomfortable. Can you imagine? Um, but again, I think knowledge is king. Now I know I have it. I have to go to a cardiologist once a year to get a scan. Stanford University, how lucky I am. And you know, I'm fine. I really appreciate it. This is just a friendly reminder that my life is now and uh, it has to be lived. And my heart needs to be happy because I cannot have an unhappy heart. It's not healthy for me. Mm, it is that is uncomfortable, but it's again, it's a it's a great way to to view it, and and it, as you say, it's a great a great reminder for a lot of things. What's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do, and why is that uncomfortable for you? I will tell you, when I get back, I'm on my way for a speaking tour in Europe. My next book is out in Europe. It's unfortunately not out in Europe. It's as you said, designing your future. It's out in Europe. Um, I'll go on my speaking tour there. When I return, end of September, um, I'll be dedicating myself full-time, full-time to build my American company. And we are launching uh, Women Reignite in US with our investors and all that. And I have not been focused 100% on one thing for the last 15 years. I already, I always had different revenue streams, right? And I, lo- I love to have an open relationship to different businesses, and I love- <laughs> but I'm actually going to focus, and that scares the li- life out of me. I-, I-, I feel extremely uncomfortable by the thought of me dedicating myself to one thing and staying focused doing only one thing. <laughs> that's super uncomfortable for me. Mm. Yeah, that's, that, that's fascinating, actually. And it's always interesting to hear what makes people, what makes people uncomfortable. Um, and I don't know if, uh, if, if the listeners or if I would have picked that that was, 
that was one thing that would be uncomfortable for you. But I, I, I do see why. Salima, what other strategies do you use when you're approaching uncomfortable situations? So, you know, uh, I know that my brain is fooling me. My brain is not designed to make me succeed in my life. My brain is only solely interested in making me survive and reproduce myself, right? That's the only two things your brain wants you to do. So my brain does not want me to implement changes in my life. My brain do not want to encourage me to do things I do not know how to know, how to do, for instance, being an amateur. My brain do not like that at all. So every time I do something, I don't like something that is self-enforced change. My brain will always make noise. So I know how to shut that noise out and really um, underwrite my brain, really. And, um, and I always analyze the situation because fear and your brain is not rational, right? It's highly irrational. So I always analyze, I design, I implement, and I focus on getting the things done. So I take, I take myself through a very controlled process of thinking every time I have to do something new, something that might be making me a little bit fearful or something that is dangerous even. Um, so I understand that I cannot trust myself. Does that make sense? I cannot mm. trust my brain. Yeah. Unfortunately, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a, it's, a nice, it's a nice reminder actually. Salima, I've got a couple of other quick questions, but I just want to say thank you so much for again for taking the time to to have a conversation with me. I, I always I always really have fun with our conversations and and enjoy how how deep we go about a whole range of topics that I kind of wasn't expecting to talk about at the start, but have been amazing. Um, but I also want to take take the time to say thank you as well for for helping people overcome excuses in their in their life and, and providing inspiration, motivation, but also pra- ways to practically apply that as well. Um, so thank you so much for that. You know, Chris, I was navigating most of my life by myself, and the the, the advice I got in my life was horrible. I mean. People were horrible advisors. How could they not be? I mean, right? And I felt so lonely. So when I finally got myself, built myself a platform, I decided I'm going to share everything I've learned and I'm going to share everything from the people I learned from to people who are less privileged than I am. That's a really important thing that a lot of people should be doing. So thank you. Thank you for leading the way in that. If people want to connect with you, if they want to follow along, What's the best way for them to do that? First of all, they should really follow you on Instagram and all that because you're amazing. Yeah, no, I really enjoy your updates. It's so motivating. So, of course, I'm a social media addict, right? Sulaima Gorani is probably, I'm, I'm, I think I'm the only one with that name. And I'm on, I'm on Twitter, my name. I am on Instagram. I am on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm everywhere. So if you, if you really, if you look carefully into the transcript probably of this podcast you will find my name and Sulaima Gorani is really if you type that in any social media platform you will find me there and I'm I share so much like I'm so productive I share personal things I share a lot from my friends that are amazing and I ask a lot of questions so if you like to follow someone who's highly engaged you will probably enjoy following me so but um yeah but Chris I really you know I said that from the beginning when we spoke today that I love how you just share and share. I really enjoy your social media content. 
Thank you, thank you, and I would very much encourage people to follow along with you uh, for a lot of a lot of great content. Final question for you: mm. Do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? Yeah, and that is: What is the biggest lie that you keep telling yourself? Yeah, it might be an assumption or something that you start believing in that is not true. Everyone is lying. We're lying to ourselves every day. But what is the big, you know, on average, people lie six times a day. Small things, right? <laughs> oh, your cake was amazing. You know, that's a lie. <laughs> uh, you know, all those things. And I think we should just stop lying. Stop lying to ourselves and be honest. No, I don't like my job. No, I do not. Re- I do not enjoy that relationship I'm in. No, I do not like to eat salad for lunch actually or no i do not enjoy just have that hard conversation with yourself stop lying to yourself so what is the biggest lie that you keep telling yourself right now and you know chris a lot of people are living on a lie maybe maybe they're not straight right or maybe they are with someone they don't love anymore or maybe they are in a job they don't enjoy or maybe they they haven't told the daughter that she's not that the dad is not the, you know what, like, there's so many lies. So what is the biggest lie that you have to stop lying about? I think that's, that, that, that will be my challenge to you all. Mm-hmm. That is a, that's a great challenge. Saloma, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. Oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure. And I hope to be invited back. I, I really enjoy your show. And uh, it's a deep conversation. And, and, and as you know, I re- that's the thing that makes my life worth living is to have meaningful conversations on things that are tough to talk about and i your show is really at the top of the game here really in in that uh, perspective so uh, thank you so much chris for having me and and um and i hope that uh this conversation will inspire many more people and and remember if i could go out and achieve all those things that i've done i see no i see no reason why other people can't i mean really um i i don't have any special talents or I wasn't given anything from birth that should um, help me create this life or whatever career that I have it is it is designed by very simple steps and tools that are all available uh, out there and but you have to make a decision and I keep saying things will repeat itself until you have had enough things only stop repeating itself the day you decide that it shouldn't be repeated Saloma Grani, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you for having me. There, team, I really hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, Again, a lot of fun to record that with Saloma and really awesome to go deep on a whole lot of different subjects that often don't get a whole lot of airtime. As I said at the start, if some of that has the potential to be confronting to people if that was confronting to you and you found it hard to listen to or you're you're going through some struggles at the moment reach out to myself reach out to Salama where we're here to have a chat or talk with a friend or a or a mental health professional as well around that stuff for you but the only way to to make changes in our lives is to start having conversations deep conversations with no excuses about a whole raft of stuff definitely recommend you go and grab Salama's book I'm getting myself a copy and looking forward to stopping giving myself some excuses 
couple of quick thank yous. Thank you to Jylan for your awesome editing skills, buddy. Thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. And thank you, as always, to you guys for taking the time to tune in and to get uncomfortable with Salama and I this week. <laughs>